All right. Divine disruption, huh? Divine disruption. Let me pray. Can I pray? Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much that we have a chance to be together, together. That just sounds so good. Man, I don't care if it's inside, outside, or uh, in the balcony, Father. Thank you. Thank you that we, um, we can be together with you, meet with you, and thank you that your presence is never limited and that your wisdom is without any, uh, any limitation. And we pray that you teach us from your word as we look at one more story of divine disruption. Uh, thank you very much for all that you've done for us in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning. There we go. Welcome in the balcony seats up here, by the way. You owe extra money for sitting up there. Those are the high-priced seats. Anyway, they come with beer and hot dogs. But anyway, I'm not, not the beer. Take that away. But the hot dogs will be coming. But no, it's great to be together. What a great time to be together. Open their Bibles to Luke chapter 2. My name is Dale Burke. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I have the privilege of uh, sharing with you this morning. Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 41. Luke 2, 41. All right. You know, Christmas, uh, by its very nature, uh, can be some of the best of times, and it can be some of the worst or scariest of times. Uh, if you've ever experienced something like what the story we're about to read experiences, it was one of those worst of times. Uh, the closest Becky and I ever came to experiencing this story in our own lives, let me take you back in time a while, because it was a Christmas. It was a Christmas when we still lived in Ohio. We, had, uh, we were about pretty much done shopping. We were done buying the gifts, and, but we took the kids to the mall. Now, most of you are too young to remember what a mall is, okay? It, it's, this is pre-Amazonian era, okay? You missed that joke completely, as in pre-Amazon shopping. Thank you very much. I got it. Okay. So pre-Amazon, there was this thing called a mall, and it was like a huge, biggest building in the city. And inside, you could actually find all the stores you could ever want to visit, all under one roof. Okay? It was an amazing concept. It's kind of passed away. But it was an amazing concept when it existed. And we went to the mall uh, near Cincinnati, Ohio, to the biggest mall around us, Northridge Mall. I can still picture it to this day. And it was one of these times when we took our three kids at the time, and i got to get the ages right. They were three, six, and eight. So picture Becky and I with three kids, three, six, and eight. And we're in the mall, and we decided, well, let's go to the local toy store. Now, toy stores are also pre-Amazon, but they, they actually had stores specializing in just toys. KB Toys was the name. We took them into KB Toys, and they were able to begin to walk around all the aisles of KB Toys. And as they walked around, they could envision, if they could just get one more gift, what would it be? You ever done that with your kids when they're that age, three, six, and eight? And they're, they're, they're hitting all the aisles, and they're picturing all the different things that they could, they could buy if they could only convince us for one more purchase. And, and they're bringing stuff and showing it to us. And what's happening is they, um, well, they outnumbered us. 
Now, what happens next, you can probably envision because as they're scoping out the aisles and we're trying to tag team who's watching which kid, all of a sudden, Becky comes to me and she says, where's Paul? He's our six-year-old son. And I said, well, I thought he was with you. And she thought he was with me. So, well, I'm sure he's in here somewhere. And we do a quick scan of the toy store, and all of a sudden we realize he is not in the toy store. And we go into hyper freak-out mode because, you know, at that time you're, you're, you're afraid. Somebody has snatched him. Someone's taken him at Christmas. The mall is packed. And KB Toys was about 20 feet from the exit door to the parking lot. So now you're picturing what we're thinking and what we're imagining. And so Beck begins to talk to security, and they call security and begin to shut down exits. And, and, and she stays there to watch for him and to, to work with security and tell him what he's wearing. And I head out into the mall, into the crowd, literally yelling my son's name and scared to death. I mean, it was a scary moment. Probably 20, 30 minutes later, which seemed like an eternity to us. I'm going down, and I'm thinking, maybe if I go to the center of the mall and there was a customer service area kiosk there, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and, and I thought, maybe they've found him. And as I was just approaching the kiosk, I hear the loudspeaker system through the whole mall saying, if anyone has lost a little boy, come to customer service. And thank God, there he was, crying, sitting on a stool, and he had thought we had left them all. He, he, he went out the door and started, where are they? And he started looking for us. And next thing you know, he was gone in the crowd. That was what happened in today's story. Except it wasn't a mall. And it wasn't for 20 or 30 minutes. We're going to look at the boy Jesus at age 12. We're fast-forwarding from his birth to age 12, and at age 12, his parents make a trip from Nazareth, where they're living, to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's the time of the year when Jerusalem swells with pilgrims coming there, Jews coming from all over the nation to worship and to be at the temple and the population is exploding and the streets are crowded and they've been there and we're going to see what happens next. Listen to Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles or your app, either one, turn and listen. It says this. It says, now Jesus, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. They actually probably as good Jews made three trips per year for different religious customs to celebrate and worship at the temple. This time it was Feast of Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, now let me just pause for a minute. They've gone to Jerusalem for Passover. The tradition was to go not just for Passover, but usually <coughs> for the feast that followed, which which was six, which was seven more days. So most likely they had been there for a minimum of eight days. They probably stayed with friends or relatives. And, uh, and it was also a significant year. It's not dwelt on in the text, but it says this. This is the story of what I call the boy Jesus lost and found. The boy Jesus lost and found in Jerusalem. But after Passover, after staying there, they had traveled, they were with family, friends, it was time to leave. Now, this was a special year for Jesus because when you turn 12, 
there was a tradition uh, where if you were a young Jewish boy, you were considered now what they call a son of the law, meaning you were now considered a young man responsible for your own obedience to the law. You weren't under the coverage of your parents anymore. It's not that you were independent, but yet it was a very special year in which, in essence, he's becoming a young man. The parents, at the end of their probably eight days or more in Jerusalem, begin to leave to go home. Now, the journey home is about 120 miles, uh, give or take a few, because to get there, you kind of got to go down from Jerusalem, which is high up. You've got to go down uh, into the Jordan Valley. You've got to, because you don't want to travel through Samaria, which is between Nazareth and Jerusalem. There's a lot of conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. Ryan's taught us about that in the past. So the idea was you kind of did a loop around Samaria. So, So to get there, It's about 120 miles. It's usually probably traveling with others because he never traveled alone, too dangerous and just not fun to travel alone. They almost always formed up caravans of neighbors and friends, traveled together for safety and for other reasons. So, you know, you're you're probably talking about a seven-day journey. Picture that. It's about a seven-day journey. So what happens? What happens next is they leave. And one day out, at the end of the first day of travel, it says their nightmare happened. Here it is. It says, and as they were returning, verse 43, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. But supposing him to be in the caravan, they went a full day's journey, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answer. So Jesus is in the temple for those days, interacting with these religious scholars and teachers, asking them questions. But Jesus, as he often did as an adult, is asking questions that sets them up to realize, oh, we don't know, you know. But Jesus didn't just have great questions. He had great answers. And it says they were astonished at Jesus and his wisdom. All who heard him were amazed, verse 47, at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, when the parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And then Jesus gives this answer. Here it is. Why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, went home with them, and continued to live in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. But notice Jesus' statement. He says, 
did you not know I must be in my father's house? Now, that's my New American Standard translation. I actually like the translation better because in the Greek language, it just basically says, don't you know I had to be about my father? It could be um, in my father's house, or the better translation I really like is about my father's business. I needed to be about my father's business or in my father's house doing his business was the idea. And what we learn about Jesus at age 12 are two big ideas that shaped his life and that I believe have direct application to you and me today. Because most of you are thinking, well, you know something, I'm not even going to the mall, let alone losing my kid on a trip. So, you know, this is not home alone time, right? I'm not doing that. But the fact of the matter is there's a very interesting truth about Jesus, and it's this. Jesus knew who he was, and he knew why he was, even at age 12 as a young man. His who was the Son of God. He knew that it was his father's house. He knew that it was his father's business, which tells me he not only knew who he was as the Son of God, but he knew why he was. He knew his who and his why, and they directed and disrupted his life, as they will for you and me. The big disruption was caused by Jesus living out who he was and why he was, and his parents did not know that he was doing that. Who? The Son of God. Why? His why was he knew he was Messiah on a mission. And he was beginning that mission, even at age 12. And God's calling on Jesus disrupted the life of his parents, for sure, scared them to death. Because if you count this up, by the way, from the time they first left, they spent a day going away from Jerusalem, which meant they spent another day going back to Jerusalem, and then they spent three days looking for him. He had been lost from them for at least four to five days. That's a long time. And he was fine, but they were scared to death. And God disrupted their journey, disrupted their life to teach a very valuable lesson. That if you want to live life, you've got to know God's calling and you've got to let that calling guide you. Or another way to say it is this. I think the significance of the story for my life and hopefully for yours as well is to really live, you need to know your who and your why. Know your who, know your why. Number one, know your who. Who was, who are we as followers of Christ? We're children of the living God. We're a child of God. You become a child of God when you place your faith in Christ and his amazing grace and you receive life. You're born again. You're born from above. You receive life. You're a child of God. You're saved by his grace. Man, that's an amazing truth. And then you are not just saved to go to heaven. You are created to live and love and serve him. So if I were to, in in a nutshell, say, what is our who? We are children of God, saved by grace, recreated in Christ to love and serve him out of that love. That is absolutely central to all of life. Now, Last time it was real windy, so I came real prepared today, and now it's a hassle. I forget this thing. So here's the deal. 
you want to know your who, but then I really want to dwell a little more on you want to pursue your why. Jesus at age 12 said, I've got work to do for my heavenly father. And that shaped his life. And I really believe it needs to shape all of our lives. The question is, what does God have in store for you and for me for our life on planet Earth? Because it's not going to be exactly like Jesus. We're not going to go to a literal cross and die for the sins of humanity. We can't do that. Jesus did as the sinless Son of God. But for you and me, we still have purpose. That God gives us life in Christ so that we can live out a purpose. And that call of God on our life will almost always, to some degree, disrupt our life and direct our life. Because when you really say to God, God, I'm, I'm yours. What do you want to do with me? Let's, let's do life together. Let's, let's, I want to I love and serve you all the days of my life. I guarantee you that's going to take you in a direction that is different than what our culture would call you to. It's going to disrupt some things. How do we really know and pursue our own kingdom calling or the Father's business? Let me give you a kind of a little trilogy, and then we'll talk about how to model it. Um, number one, it's got to start by coming to Christ yourself to be saved by his amazing grace. And that's the story of Christmas. You've been hearing about that. You've got to embrace Christ in a personal relationship where you put your faith in him and his amazing grace where he, by his love, gives us life as we come to him in humble faith. So you need to be saved by his amazing grace, but then you need to let that grace stimulate your love. You know, Christianity is never designed to be lived out of fear. It's designed to be lived out of a love relationship with the living God who saves you by grace. So grace stimulates our love. And then out of love, love stimulates our service, our willing to serve him out of love. Because if it's being done out of guilt, if it's being done out of trying to earn points with God, you'll burn out on that. But if it's being done out of a genuine grace-driven, love-motivated relationship, that is what makes life work. So you need to, those are the essence that's the essence of life. So I wanted to close today, though, talking a little bit about how do we try to not only live this way ourselves, how do we, since Jesus was only 12 in this story, and he was already getting it. Now, it was easy for him to get it because he's the son of God, okay? But the question is, how do we make sure that we're trying to pass on that value of loving and serving God as the essence of life, the value of our relationship saved by grace, how do we pass that on for generations to come? How do we pass it to our kids? How do we pass it, even in my case, to our grandkids? So I want to I end by talking about how do you model and value this in the presence of your kids? Now, some of you don't have kids. Some of you are single. Some of you are with us as kids yourself right now. And uh, so this is for you. Wave to me up there. There you go. There you go. See, I see you. Yeah. So we got kids with us right now. See, this applies to you as well because Jesus was already figuring this thing out when he was 12 years old. So how do we transmit the value of the kingdom of God 
and the value of our relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, how do we transfer that to kids, to teenagers, to even grandkids? And to be honest, most of the best things that Becky and I have discovered, and let me just say up front, our kids are not perfect, and we're not perfect parents. Can, I, can you repeat that? Say, Dale, you are not perfect. Okay, thank you. You don't have to say it so fervently, but yeah, yeah. And your kids aren't perfect, right, in case they're tuning in online to watch today from Australia or from elsewhere, okay? Uh, we got one over in Sydney, Australia. But the bottom line is we're not perfect parents, and what I'm going to share with you are not perfect solutions that make everything perfect. Because your kids are going to make their own choices. Your kids are going to grow up, and they're going to make choices whether to follow Christ or not. But by God's grace, there are some things that we've done over the years uh, throughout life that we think have helped plant seeds uh, and kind of water those seeds of faith in the lives of our kids and now our grandkids. Most of the best ideas came from my wife, Becky. So she's going to join me now. And we're just going to share some things that we did, and they may prompt your creativity or your ideas for how do you pass the value of living for the Father's business, living for the kingdom of God, what I call your kingdom calling. How do you infuse that value or, or stimulate it in the lives of kids and grandkids? So, Beck, when you think about that, we go back in time when our kids were really little, what would you say was a central idea? Well, I think the main thing was, first of all, it's got to be real in your life. You have to be authentic in your walk with God. And they need to see you modeling that God's word and worship of God is a priority in your life. Yeah. So remember, like, even when we, our kids were literally babies, we were in a small group. Small groups are big here at Seacoast. Being in a life group and a growth group and a small group so you can grow in faith in the community of the church. So we actually had a small group that met in a home. And we actually ate our meal together every Took time we met. With us. And our kids were part of yeah, it. Yeah, and the kids were part of the meeting, and then they'd go off to play and do their own deal. And But they, they grew up watching us value being in the Word of God and with other people. And being in fellowship with other people. Yeah. They literally, back then, sat with us in church. Uh, a lot of times. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they, yeah, that could be scary at times. You know, and, th and Dad had the look, too, because I was often up here like Ryan is. You know, I know Ryan at times probably gave his kids the look, right? Anyway, but anyway I, I have to. His kids are perfect. Mine weren't. But, you know, I, I give them the look, and that just means, okay, we got a conversation after church, but you're on alert, okay? <laughs> I know that you're playing one of those games with your kid. Uh, never, never mind. But we did that. So, but the, the bottom line is you've got to first, it's got to be true in your life. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says that we have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, okay? Because you do that to model for your kids the value of it's, that. It's so easy when children are little to just be all about meeting their immediate needs. And we can get so caught up in that that sometimes we forget that the highest value is showing them God yeah. and, and making that a priority. That's the center of life. You know, it's kind of like what you reward when as well. Right. When our kids were at that age where we were expecting them to do chores around the house, we wanted them to learn responsibility, but it hit us one day. 
we want to we want to reward them for things that will build their faith and their spiritual life so we always had on allowance day we gave them yeah. bumps on their allowance yep. if they extra 50 cents but it wasn't stuff they were made to do these were things that they took the initiative if they took notes in church memorize scripture memorize a s- scripture yep. if they read um a story that we recommended about a missionary or yep. something like that, and then we would surprise them. Yep, with a little bump on their allowance. But but we made it their choice. It wasn't a legalistic thing like you have to do this or you're not going to get your allowance. You know, there was a base allowance they got for just kind of helping out in the house and doing things like that. But this was an extra incentive because we decided if this is the most important part of raising a kid and preparing them for life, we should be rewarding that. And we so had to show them that we valued that even higher than taking out the garbage yeah, or, or getting emptying straight the A's. dishwasher. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can give your kid an extra buck if he gets A's on his report card. I know a lot of parents did that. And nothing wrong with that. I want our kids to excel academically. But to be honest, you can raise a highly intelligent, highly educated Harvard graduate with a wrecked life if he doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we want to reward that value. Now, as they got a little bit older, what about like in high school? Well, Pic- Picture those years. Yeah, when our kids were teenagers, you know, you start to get that point where mom and dad aren't as cool as other people. So I know we're pretty cool, <laughs> but some parents aren't. We really prayed that each of our kids would have a mentor that would come alongside them that was a little bit older than them, but younger than us, that was walking with the Lord to right. be a model to them. And that happened. Yeah. We prayed for that, and God brought that about in our kids' lives. Also, giving them, Dale and I are products of wonderful youth ministry when we were growing up, and we we really wanted to go out of our way as parents to make sure that our kids were taking advantage of what the church is doing in youth ministries. We loved camp when we were growing up, and so... You know, we made it a priority in our budget to save for that because three kids going to Hume Lake was not cheap. Right. But we had to put a little away every month of the year. Yeah, we literally had to save all all year long to send the three kids to camp. But it it had to be a high value because we knew the impact that can have in their lives. Let's jump ahead a little more. Um, College years. What do you think of if you're raising college students? When our kids were approaching college, our daughter in particular wanted to go the UC route. She got accepted at UCLA. And so during that time, searching colleges, and we'd have those days to go visit the school and see what it's like and everything, behind the scenes, (laughs) we did our research to find out what night the various Christian groups met, like Campus Crusade or Navigators or one of those groups, and then we called them to see if we could bring our daughter to one of their meetings just to, you know... Introduce her. Introduce her so that going to college, being away from home, being away from her church, she would have other Christians building into her life. Yeah, because we knew if she goes to a a university, she's not going to be taught by the faculty of that university you know, unless you're going to a Christian school somewhere, you're not going to be taught the values of our family or our faith. So we wanted to connect her before she ever moved onto campus with 
key people that would be knocking on her door, knowing her by name, and saying, we love you, we want to help you grow in your faith while you're here to be a Bruin. And, um, and then she ended up marrying a guy that went to USC. So that proved that my daughter could survive an interfaith marriage. But anyway, that's another story. Just a joke. Okay. You know, and then they get a little bit older. Well, even as our kids are adults and have children, I'm always on the watch, on the lookout for things that I can help them, encourage them in their parenting. Just this year, well, I had to bring brought some of those with us. Just this year, I discovered a book, and I haven't even finished reading it, but I'm so impressed with it. But I bought it for each of the couples in our family. It's called Mama Bear Apologetics. Anybody heard of this one? I pretty just new out. It's new out, and I, I'm so impressed with it because I feel like in this day and age in our culture, the, the parents need to have a handle on how to talk about these things to defend our faith and that your faith is credible. Right, and it's really well written. From my, I've read part of it. I haven't finished it, but I've read it. Don't tell to say my kids. It's under the tree Yeah, don't for tell them. anybody <laughs> because we celebrate Christmas with our kids tomorrow, tomorrow. morning. So this is Christmas Eve for the Burke clan. That's one so of their no gifts. So they may be watching this. No, they well. never watch me. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I highly recommend it. And, and likewise with our grandkids. Uh, as they're getting older, we're starting, for example, our oldest grandson is now 14. 14 and you know, he's asking the hard questions. And so we're trying to give him. Uh, and we give our kids gifts <laughs> that they want. Okay, or we're, need. we're not against toys. Okay, on Christmas, it's it, that's okay. But we also try to give each of our kids something that would feed their soul, their soul, at an appropriate age level, and that's gone from everything from children's Bibles, picture Bibles, to what about the devotional? Do you have those devotional? We don't well, have they're that wrapped. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're wrapped. We're getting those tomorrow. Our fourteen-year-old okay. grandson's getting like three books in apologetics and then a devotional that's for teen guys um our three granddaughters are getting they're tweens yeah. you know what tweens are yeah they're scary is what they are <laughs> they're getting bibles application bibles just for tweens and yeah. they're very well done yeah they're so cute very but well done you so know i I, th I, th I think we like to give our ki the grandkids, we want to make memories with them, spend time with them. Have fun with them so we they like us. We did cousin camp last summer so that they spend time together with us. Sea World. And, yep. and, you know, giving them things that feed their soul in addition to just the things they want to play with or whatever. It was really encouraging this year when I asked one of my daughters, what can I get one of my granddaughters? What is something she wants? Because I already knew what books I was getting and all that. And she came back and said she wants some of her Christmas money from you to go to help someone in need. And I was like, wow, that's she's going to have one less. Each of the kids get four gifts at Christmas, and one of her gifts will be a picture of two little girls in Africa that her money went towards to help them. providing for them yeah. yeah because of the pandemic they haven't had any money and yeah, the mother no, yeah. has a serious surgery this week yeah. so so what we did was we asked those friends of ours in africa please take a picture of your two daughters and if they could just say or write a thank you note to my granddaughter 
um, that would mean a lot to us. And they sent us a, a nice picture of them holding up a little sign saying, thank you so much, Molly, for your blah, 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 blah. You know, and, but the, the encouraging thing is you want your kids, like Jesus at age 12, to be already saying, okay, how can I plug into my father's business? How can I invest part of my life? God is shaping each one of us to make an investment. And it's easy right here, even in a church like Seacoast, where you're being encouraged to do things in the community and do those with your kids to build that into their lives. Hey, uh, this one more idea or a couple more. Show about the Andy stocking. Tell them about the Andy stocking. Andy is, we had a grandson who died at birth and um, a few years ago. And we decided his name was Andy. We decided, along with all the other grandkids, have stockings on our fireplace, hung with care, and blah, blah, blah. And this one's different. This is the Andy stocking. So what did we do with the Andy stocking? Okay, we started thinking uh, when Andy passed away, we thought, wow, the rest of the cousins are pretty young. What can we, how can we use this to build um, kingdom values into their lives? And so every year, the Andy stocking, before they get their own stockings, after the Christmas story, before any gifts are, are okay. uh, opened, we pull out the Andy stocking. And there's always something in the Andy stocking for each of the grandkids. And the first year we did it, they were all symbols of heaven because their cousin Andy is in heaven. And we've done different things. <laughs> I have to get creative right. every year. Yeah. But um, the common theme, the is, theme is, um, is that Andy, what does Andy know that we don't know? Because he's in heaven and yeah. he understands God's perspective of the world. So this year, each family is getting a tablecloth with the whole world on it that you can like a map. You can color with fabric markers. Sometimes they're just Christmas ornaments. One year there were Christmas ornaments of children that we know in Africa that they could be praying for because Andy, Andy, Andy knows that God cares about all children. So Is those are just something we do every year. You brought one more thing to show, and then we'll we'll wrap up. What are <laughs> what are these uh, Bibles? These are one year Bibles. My wife is way more disciplined than me at part of her life that she's modeling to our kids and grandkids. Is she reads through the Bible every year. And tell them what you hope to do someday. And this is a secret, so don't tell our kids. <laughs> okay. They're really cheap to buy. You can buy the paperback ones, the one-year Bibles where they guide you what to read yeah, every day. Like this one. Yeah. Sometimes they even make them look more expensive, but they're not because they're made out of Fake plastic. Leather. But uh, I get one every year. And for that year, that's what I read every day. And I write in it like crazy. I write. All kinds of it's notes. It's kind of a journal combined with a Bible. It's almost like a journal. I'm not a real journaler, but as I'm reading God's word, there's things that come to my mind or things that God's teaching me, and I'll write it in, and if you open them, they're, they're a mess inside. And then at the end of the year, I put it on the shelf, and I buy a new one and start over on January 1st. And uh, about five years ago, I got the idea that wouldn't it be nice someday if each of my grandchildren could get one of those when I'm gone. <laughs> so... That's We're what I'm hoping doing. she has a collection of 30, 40 <laughs> of these before she's gone. But, but yeah. I just thought how wonderful yeah. it would be. My grandmother was a believer, and, uh, and it was evident in her yeah. life, but I would love to have something that she had 
written. Yeah. Dale's mother. Yeah, I've got my I've got my mom and dad's your family mom. Bible and as your well. grandmother's Bible and my grandmother. Um, you know, but and maybe that's even a good simple thing to end on is I was deeply impacted by the fact that my grandmother. Every time we visited her, and she was pretty feeble and. So she wasn't the type of grandma to get out and play games with me. But every time we visited my grandmother, we never left her house without her praying for us. And it was a sincere prayer because she looked at me and she thought, oh, my gosh, Dale needs help. You know, <laughs> so I mean, she would pray literally for each of us by name and just pray that we would love Jesus and know Jesus and serve Jesus and. And she'd always just give us a hug and say, don't forget now, you stay close to Jesus. And when your grandma tells you that, every time you see her, it sticks. It really does. So I really believe whatever stage or phase of life we're in, Jesus at age 12 knew his who and he knew his why. And he was going to be about it. Don't think your kids have to be 21 before they fall in love with Jesus and begin to serve him or your grandkids. But it starts with us. We've got to model it, fall in love with his grace, and let that love move us to serve him. And just do it in front of anybody, and God will use you uh, in your kingdom calling. Let me pray. Father God, thanks so much for your word and for the modeling of Jesus for us, even at age 12. He was even willing to disrupt his parents' life in order to be about whatever God wanted him, his heavenly father wanted him to be doing. So Father, I pray that in the coming year that each of us, beginning with me, Father, help me be open to letting you disrupt me letting you direct me into whatever calling you have for us. And I pray that, Father, for every man, woman, and child here. In Christ's name, amen.